it just resonated so much. I can't shake it where he said, you have to do things that are worth doing in life, even if you fail. Mm. Choose those things. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, and welcome, as always, to the Find Your Voice podcast. I'm your host, Allison Fallon, and on today's episode, I get to speak with a dear friend of mine who's also an incredible inspiration to me. Her name is Allison Trowbridge. Allison and I met while I was still living in Nashville, Tennessee, and she was there visiting some of our mutual friends. And I kept hearing from these mutual friends that I needed to meet, quote, the other Allie, or sometimes people would call her the blonde Allie since my hair is brunette. Turns out she was hearing the same thing, but it wasn't until we finally met in person that I finally understood why everyone was trying so hard to get us to connect. We do have a lot in common. Allie and I both love books, and we both believe in the power of the written word to create change in the world. We have both written books ourselves, no surprise there, given our stance on the written word. We both are interested in amplifying voices that need to be heard. We share a million mutual friends and... Currently, we both live in Los Angeles, California. Allie is, like so many of our other guests on the show, an incredibly accomplished woman. She's written books. She's argued with senators about the severity of human trafficking. She's studied at Oxford, traveled the world. And now she's starting a company to help people gather around the power of reading and sharing books. And her advice to you as she dives into what it takes to write a book or pursue any creative project is simply this. Do something worth the journey. On today's episode, we talk about just that, what it means to do something worth the journey. We also unpack her own personal journey to writing her book, which is called 22. And she talks about the epidemic of loneliness in our culture and how writing and books can actually help us to close the gap and connect more authentically with those around us. I can't wait for you to hear more from the other Allison on today's episode. So here we go. Let's jump right in. Hi, Allie. I just took a drink. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible timing. Oh, man. Oh, it's so great to be here with you. It's wonderful to be in your home. It's so good to be here with so, you, too. And we've had a little puppy party have, today. Our puppies have been playing, and it's the sweetest thing ever. It's pretty much the best. I think that should be a kind of a, a daily ritual. It should. It's our happiness meters would go yes, through the roof. It's so true. They bring so much joy. So much joy. And Shiloh is wiped out now. <laughs> it's fantastic. I have a little rescue dog I got a few months ago, and she's just flipped my world upside down oh. in the best way. And so her and Allie's puppy were meeting for the first time. It's so sweet. Oh, precious. So her name's Ivy. Mm-hmm. What kind of dog is she? I think she's like a Papillon okay. mix, maybe some Chihuahua. Who knows? I wanted a really big dog, and then she all 
seven pounds of her jumped into my arms and was yeah. like, okay, I guess you're my you're She my dog. had you wrapped I around know. her finger from the beginning. I know, wrapped around her paw. I remember when I first saw you post the photo of her on Instagram. <laughs> and I, you know when you're like, they belong together. <laughs> I they know. just do. You guys look like you go together. Oh, man. So sweet. So fun. Well, thank you for doing this. I'm so excited to chat with you. There are one million different places we could go with this, and I'm sure we could talk for the next two hours. <laughs> Absolutely. Get ready, everybody. I know. Um, but I want to start the same place I always start with these interviews. Same question, which is, what does it mean to you to find your voice? Mm, that's a great question and very appropriate. I think it means to to really be anchored in authenticity and then and then having the the courage and the bravery to communicate that from a place of love and joy and self-expression. Mm. Um, I think there's many ways that you can find your voice, whether it's speaking up or writing or even just the way that we communicate in re- relationships, feeling safe and known and and again, having the courage to be vulnerable with other people and share from the heart um, in an authentic way. That's mm, what it means for that's me. That's a beautiful answer. I Let's talk about that word self-expression because that hasn't come up so far in mm. any of my interviews. And I think it's a perfect word to go along with what we're talking about. But what are some ways that you have found to s- express yourself in your life? Ooh, Gosh, I, for me, it's, it, so I, I grew up with a mom who was an artist, okay. so I was not allowed to watch a movie if I wasn't drawing. So there was always art happening in the house and, um, Love that. yeah. And then, and my, my dad on my, that side of the family, we, we own a small business. that's an art store. So it's, oh. it was creativity was, was kind of all around us. And so I, from a young age, I was always kind of expressing creativity, creative ideas, whether that was through art, through drawing or painting or throwing clay on a wheel or writing was a big one from, from a young age. Before I could, before I actually could write, I would draw pictures. My mom would staple together construction paper into books and I would draw pictures. And then this was when I was like three or four, I would then dictate to her what was happening in the story. Oh my god! She would write underneath each picture and I would have an actual book. And then when I could write, I would write my own books all the time and wow. wrote a short story when I was 12 and got published, which was really so incredible. And they used that story for standardized testing somehow. It got picked up. And so I'd get a $25 check in the mail every like six months. And I just was like, this is it. I've made it as a writer. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. So I, I think it's multifaceted and I think that it's so important to have creative inputs into your life as well as creative outputs. I think as a creator, it's, um, you can put so much pressure on yourself to always be producing. And I think we need to be so sensitive to always having good inputs. So whether that is, being in nature or being in museums or being around people who are sparking creative ideas in your life where like for me having meaningful conversations about significant topics really sparks a lot of ideas and creativity and uh, reading is a big one for me. I'm always, always have an audiobook going or a podcast going or 
a book next to my bed or a book in my bag. And so it's, it, it's for me as much a, an input as it is an output and then being able to like wrestle with ideas and find new ways to express them. That makes so much sense. And it's really true. It's like with anything, how would you be able to put energy out if you didn't have energy coming in as yeah. well? And I do think we live in a world where there's so much pressure to be constantly producing. Yeah. That if you're, especially if you're in a position where you're hoping to be published or you're trying to build, mm-hmm. build your platform or whatever, it's like, you can't take a day off from Instagram or yeah. I see people who are like, you know, whatever, they make the announcement that they're going to take a, a intentional break from Instagram, which is fine. But I'm always like, how did we get to the place where like, I have to announce. Oh yeah, no, I take breaks all the time. I'll just, <laughs> for weeks, I'll be like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I just yeah. need, need a moment. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's being sensitive to when do you f- feel most alive and when do you feel your creative self coming to life? And then also finding ways to capture that that's unique to you. Like when, gosh, when I wrote my book, it was, that was one of the hardest seasons of my life of the, the pressure to hit a deadline and, and be creative in the process. But the beautiful part of it was because I was writing so much, all of my best ideas started coming to me and the most wild moments. And it's like they're, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in Big Magic where like ideas as if they're kind of flying around and you you catch them or it'll choose you. And then you have this beautiful opportunity or responsibility to then communicate to that to the world in some way. And if, if you don't, it'll move on almost like a little butterfly into, yeah. to another person. And, and it was so neat when the more that I'm writing and the more that I'm kind of in that mindset of creativity, I think the more I'll have those moments of waking up in the middle of the night and like rolling over and dictating something into Evernote that I wake up in the morning and don't even remember saying it or writing it. And it'll be, you know, the line that gets underlined the most in, in the book. And and so there's kind of that that mystical process of creating where I think our best work, we feel less like like it's coming from us and more like we're a conduit to, Mm. to something. So I think of, I think of creativity as like being a bridge from an idea or, or a way of looking at something to an audience and what you produce is the bridge to help other people go across and get there. Yeah. So good. I do want to talk about your book, which is called 22 Mm -hmm. and it's such a great book. Thanks. I read it when you, well, shortly after you had published it, when you gave me a copy, Yeah, it's been like, 18 months now or so since we that day we met it yeah maybe longer than yeah at least two years probably crazy so wild we're getting old we are (laughs) time just flies by um but let's back up a tiny bit how did you get to the place where you were in a publishing contract with a Mm. publisher did you always know that you wanted to write a book and then how to what was the lead up to that yeah so I did always know that I wanted to write I've never been someone that was felt like my identity was in being a writer, which we can we can talk about that. It's, you know, the whole imposter syndrome is part of it. And then also I just loved communicating and sharing ideas and saw writing as one expression of that. But yeah, I always knew that I, I would at some point. And when I, even as it going back to childhood, like I would observe things and in my head, like I would see you sitting here right now and in my head, think about how I would write that to convey the feeling and the emotion and the experience. And I would do that all the time so that I was thinking as if I was writing, kind of training my brain to 
look for ways to creatively express something I was seeing. And, but yeah, when I was 22, I was graduating from, about to graduate from college. And I remember pulling an all nighter with one of my, one of my best friends and, and somewhere probably around 4am that we were literally sitting in the front seat of, of the car. We just parked outside the apartment and never went inside and just had kind of one of those deep life talks that you always remember. And I said to her, I wish that there was a book written for this season of life called 22 to help give us guidance because I feel like, you know, there's never been a better moment in history to be a young woman. And at the same time, there's never been more pressure to have our lives figured out and to kind of do it all, be it all, have it all. And so I said to her, I was like, whatever I do career wise, I'm going to write that book someday Mm. because I need it and it doesn't exist. And I want it to exist for other young women. And so I, I, I think after I kind of spoke that it just, it just always stayed with me. And I never, it was like, I know I have to do that. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a career move. It wasn't a, I mean, it, it wasn't like, um, it wasn't a part of a bigger plan. It was more of something that was, I just felt, I don't know, such a conviction towards it Sure. that I would be kind of like the, you know, the whole, you know, Jonah running from Nineveh sort of thing if I, if I didn't do that. And so I didn't know when or how, but I knew I would come to it someday. And, and then a few years on when I was in my mid twenties, my pastor at the time had, I, I wrote an article on his family. He, he went through the loss of his daughter to cancer. And in the midst of that journey, we got to know each other better. And he was writing a a book at the time or, or had, had, um, he had done a, a series of messages and asked me if I would turn those messages into a book and said, yes, cause I had no idea what I was saying yes to. And it was insanely, I had no life for a year cause I was working probably <laughs> 60 hour, 80 hour weeks. And then I'd go home and write from like eight or nine at night and to one in the morning. And then I wouldn't leave the house on the weekends. Like it was not, it was not like an ideal scenario, but (laughs) that process of writing his book helped just introduce me to the, the industry. And, and I think, yeah, getting to be really behind the scenes on something like that and help somebody else find their voice. Like I had to help him find his literary voice writing this book with him was a really just a really formative experience for learning how publishing worked and learning kind of how you could could frame something and get a book to market and and so by the time you know shortly after that i gosh i'm like going back through all the all the kind of signposts or significant points i i was in london on a business trip super jet lagged and again i'd always had this 2022 idea sitting with me and i woke up sat straight up in bed at the, in the middle of the night, which I especially don't do jet lagged. And it was like, all of a sudden I just saw the book. It was just like this almost download of like, it's a series of letters. It's written to a fictional character as she's going through college. I like, I, I have it, I see it. And from that moment, I started the process of uh, leaving my job six months later and starting to talk to agents and any friends I had who had agents and just starting to put it out into the world. I started working on a book proposal, not, you know, like only having known how to do that from working on a friend's book. But, but yeah, it was just like, I have to, this is in me and it has to come into the world, whatever wow. that means and looks like. And if it changes one person's life, that was worthwhile. I just have to do it. That's amazing. 
Oh, I love that. There are like 18 threads in what you just said that I want to follow. <laughs> um, so I'm going to pick out a couple that are important. Number yeah. one, I want to talk about you working on your pastor's book. Yeah. Because I think this is a conversation that feels really confusing and taboo to people who aren't a part of the publishing industry. The mm. fact that, that you would be writing on someone else's book. And, I, and I've done a bunch of this too. Yeah. But can we, can we just talk a little sure. bit about like, yeah. what does it mean to be writing somebody else's book and, yeah. and how I think a lot of people have this impression that like, wait a second, that why would you write his book and then his name would be on the cover? Yeah. Um, and you and I both have been around this world for long enough to know that that's not exactly, it's not as, um, mm -hmm. Every book is a collaborative effort. So yeah. anyway, I just yeah. love to hear your thoughts on that. Like, what was it like for you to sure. be a part of that with him? And how did it help you or how did you help him find his voice? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what you just said, every book is a collaborative effort. And starting there, I think it's very rare that somebody sits in a room in a dark, in, sits in a room in the dark, writes the whole thing. And then, you know, they would have to self-publish on Amazon and no one else having ever looked at it. Yeah for it too. And, and I would say that's probably not going to be a very good book. <laughs> so Agreed. I would start there with every, every book is a collaborative effort with mine. I, I wrote the whole thing, but had, you know, editors who constantly were giving me feedback and corrections. And, and so there's different levels of how much other people come in and help at the end of the day. It's, you know, it's the author's content and vision, but working on my pastor's book, he, his name is Brett and, and he, all the content was his, he had preached on it. He sent me all the audio files. He sent me all the transcripts, but it takes an enormous amount of effort and hours mm -hmm. to go through all of that content and all of those references and work it together in a way that is very concise and, and can be consumed in a book format instead of in the way that he originally taught it. And so my job was to also, he's like a surfer and, you know, his speaking voice was a lot of, you know, kind of like, dude, that's rad. And if you write that way, you actually sound like a 13 year old girl <laughs> instead of like, you know, this, this brilliant kind of academic mind that he was. So it was also helping to him to kind of craft that. And he is a brilliant writer. He could, he could have written the whole thing himself without any support from me, but he was leading a church and, yeah. and teaching every weekend and didn't have the hours in the day to do all of it. And so he brought me in to help kind of, to create the framing, to organize yeah. the, the architecting. It's almost like somebody saying, okay, I want to build a house and here's my vision and here's what I want everything to look like. And I really know what the outside's going to look like and mm -hmm. what the experience is going to be like and the style and all these things. But someone actually has to like pick out the dining room table and order it and sure. help lay the beams down. And there's a lot of like time consuming functional pieces. And so we had to come in and, and do all of that. And, and then we would go back and forth constantly. And, and the neat thing about, about Brit is that I mean, some, some people will work very hands-on with a co-writer or a ghost writer and won't even mention them in the credits. And with Brit, he actually told his publisher, he was insistent that I go on the cover of the book, which I did not need that much credit on it, but he, he felt like it was important, which I thought was a really just generous move on his yeah. part. I think, I think a lot of people maybe feel embarrassed that they have support writing sure. something. And that is a piece of the culture I would want to see changed because I, I think it creates a false assumption of 
what goes into into a book project. Agreed. Totally agreed. I know for me, and it sounds like for you and for so many writers, you cut your chops in the world of writing by working on other projects or mm-hmm. working on maybe projects that aren't your passion project. Yeah. So how did helping him with his book set you up when it came time to mm. sit down and write your book? Yeah, it's that's a, a great question because I, you know, you think writing someone else's book and helping them find their voice, I would think it would be really easy to turn around and find my voice because yeah. it's like, okay, well, at least now I can write on my own. And it's, it was equally hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, to distinguish like who your, who your audience is and what you want the tone and the feel and the nuance of the book to be. Like I wrote a book that was very memoir driven, but also in this unique format of letters. And there are parts of it that almost feel like more kind of fluid and poetic and very descriptive and very relational. And my next book that I write will be a business book. And so it will still be me, but it'll be a different kind of tone in that voice. Just like you and I sitting here talking right now is a different tone of voice than if I was leading a board meeting. Sure. And so it's still me and it's still my voice, but it's my voice in a different context. And yeah, so I think it's the, I think the practice of really thinking through also just the functionality of I don't know, we, we can become so precious about our writing of because I crafted it and it exists, it's the world must know it or, it, mm. you know, it's it's good enough as it is because it's mine. And rather than putting your audience first and realizing like if it's for you, it's a journal. And if it's for an audience, you need to be crafting the entire thing with that audience in mind. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of started with a, created an idea in my head of, who was the specific person that I was writing to? And kind of if I can really connect with that person and holding them in my mind, then this will connect with a lot of other people like them, a lot of other young women who are in a similar stage of life. And yeah. so just being laser focused on on who they are and and also going through the proposal process. I think many writers also think that their only job is is the writing of the book and if you want it, if you want it published, half of the process is marketing and and how yeah. you bring it to the world and and everything from how the you know cover looks and how you talk about it and how it's all of the framing and um and it's just a a big piece of the puzzle that I think most people don't realize how important it is and then don't understand why the publishing industry isn't jumping on themselves to to get their book published yeah. because they haven't thought about audience and marketing and how they'd actually deliver it to to the audience. So working on his book really um, helped me see it from a business side yes. and understanding how much a publisher is investing to partner with you on that. Uh, nobody, nobody owes me anything. I don't, you know, I'm not entitled to have any of my works published. It's, it needs to be a partnership with a publisher that is wanting to reach that same audience and can invest the time, energy, capital, personnel into helping you bring it to market. So it really is, it's more of like a, a joint venture in that sense. Yeah. You told me once, I'm almost positive this was you, told me the number that publishers invest in yeah, it's on a, average? It's, it's someone in, in, in uh, the publishing industry, she's an editor, told me it's about 50000 So they're investing $50,000 mm-hmm. in an author to get their words out in the world. And that's not including the advance. So oh. yeah, that's just with their staff time. 
Okay. And the cost of goods and the mark, I think the marketing they put into it and just like the hard fixed mm-hmm. costs, not inclusive of everything above and beyond that, that they, you know, invest to get the deal in the first place. Yeah. So there is this dynamic when you move from writing for your own benefit, your mm-hmm. own growth to, to like, you've crossed the threshold into like, I want to publish this thing or I want yeah. to publish something that you have to start thinking about it. Not only like, how can I create a, be- a piece of art that's beautiful and that yeah. is meaningful, but also how can I move units? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I, I think own. writing for writing's sake is, is, I mean, that's the most important. Yeah. That's the most, you know, beautiful and incredible. And, and then if you, you know, want to move to publishing, it has to be audience first and seeing it as a partnership if you're going to work with a publishing house and a team and it has to fit within a market and there has to be ways to get it to the right audience and I I just think it's it's so easy to take it personally when you get the rejections and I I think we sent my book to 23 or so publishers and I think I got 20 rejections so (laughs) So it's like you, you get rejected a lot and it's funny, I'm raising money for a company right now and it's not entirely different where mm. I have to remind myself all the time, I'm not entitled to any of these big VCs investing in my company. Yeah, I really am not entitled to that. It has to be, everything has to fit and work and it's its its own kind of marriage and partnership mm. and, and they need to see the market opportunity as much as I do. And, sure. and it doesn't just need to exist because I've spent time on it. And so I think if in, in bringing a book to market, if you can really see it as start to look into the business side of it as well, you'll understand more of where a publisher is coming from and, and all of the kind of requirements they have to meet in Mm. order to sign on to, to your project. Yeah. Thinking about you as a friend and a supporter of copper, what you're doing with copper and a supporter of you as a writer I think one of your secret weapons is that you are not only brilliantly artistic, but you also have a very strategic, smart business mind. So that the combination together is rare, I find. Mm. I find usually people are very gifted artists who feel maybe like it might be selling out or something Mm. to sign a publishing contract or, Mm -hmm. you know, or on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who are brilliant business minds who have a hard time going to the deep waters that it takes to really write something that's Mm going to create transformation in somebody's life. So I'm curious if you have any advice for people who are listening, who find themselves on one, leaning more toward one side than the other side. If there's, is this just, is it innate for you? Is it inborn or is it something you've had to cultivate to be able to meet in the middle with those two things? Yeah. Well, on the business side of things, I, I would say I've always seen business is is actually one of the most exciting forms of of creativity and expression and i love like thinking about all of the kind of unique dynamics of the business side i i read everything i can i'm always reading books and listening to podcasts and like i think it's on that end of things just trying to be a a constant learner i think it's it's really easy to say you know, well, I don't know how to do marketing. So that means I don't know how to do marketing or mm-hmm. I've never had success with social media. So that's that. And I don't think any of these things are necessarily intrinsic skills. I think they're things that I I make a point of really observing. So if I, if I love a, a 
author or a company or whatever it is, I really pay attention to what's working, what's resonating with me. Mm. Why do I like it? How are they communicating what they do? Why does that make me want to like, you know, get involved or, or buy into, to this idea or this product. And so, so it's the, the observation and then constantly learning and then applying my own creative thinking to it and not being afraid to, to test and fail and learn and test again and, yeah. and keep putting something out there and, and holding the results loosely and not, mm. you know, not, not feeling a sense of obsession around something working out because so much is you give your everything and then so much of it is, is timing and, and hitting the, getting the right thing to the right audience at the right time, sure. whether it's a book or a company or anything. So, but yeah, I think if you can see the business side as a truly creative pursuit, it makes it way more fun yeah. and way more enjoyable. And you can really come into it expressing what your strengths are and then bringing others around you who excel where you don't have strengths. And then on the, the, to the other half of your question, on the other side, I, there's a great quote. Um, who was it by? I want to say like, may even be Stephen King or someone, but it, he says, no tears in the author, no tears in the reader. Wow. And I thought about that all the time when I was writing 22, because I think if you're faking it, your audience knows you're faking it. Your yeah. reader knows you're faking it. And that's something that's so beautiful about the written word that I think the the deeper you crack yourself open and go into those depths and have the sincerity and, and bravery to pull that out and share that vulnerably with, with an audience of people you will never see or know, that is what creates transformation and change and connection with your reader. And let's never forget the, like writing the end of my book, crying and feeling so emotionally wrecked by it. And that's the reason why I get messages all the time from, yeah. from people saying I'm reading the end of your book sobbing right now. Yeah. It's like, because I was crying writing it. Yeah. That's why they're crying reading it. And so, yeah, I just think it's, you know, and you certainly don't have to, you can write books where you stay much more at the surface and it's probably, you know, I was waking up in the middle of the night, like panicking before the book got published. I'm like, Oh, I shared too much. It's an overshare. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I think that, you know, the kind of going scared nature of, of putting a book into the world is what makes it powerful. So I think that's also an opportunity to, to do our own work. And, and Ali, I think you do such a beautiful job of talking about this a lot and, and leading by example. And it's so evident in, in your book, Indestructible, but you know, it's, it's a journey of us doing the work in our own lives and surrounding ourselves with people who challenge us and call us higher and going to onsite and, and, you know, doing deep levels of, of counseling and, all of it, even, even, you know, the way that journaling can help you writing just for yourself, not for an audience can help yeah. you tap into deeper levels and layers of who you are. All of that you get to bring forward to an audience. So good. So good. I want to talk to you about your next book, but before we go there, I'd love to hear more about copper. Cause I think Ooh, yeah. at this point people are probably really wondering like, what is this? And 
So tell us more about it. Yeah. Tell us more about the idea genesis and then, I know. yeah, I feel like I've been in like the workshop for two years yeah. tinkering and, <laughs> and, um, I'm building a platform to help people connect in meaningful community and do it through book clubs. Amazing. So yeah, there's been all this data and statistics that have come out in the last year or so saying that people are more lonely than they've ever been in history. And the irony of this digital age is that we feel more connected to one another than ever, but it's often a false sense of connection. And we work from home and order in our food on Postmates and binge Netflix and check Instagram and feel like I know what Allie's doing and what she's up to in her life and we're connected. I have friends, but in reality, we're not having any real intimacy in the friendship when we're just living online in that space. And so it was so interesting when I I did my MBA at Oxford and while I was living in the UK, they, they appointed a minister of loneliness, which is like the most so British cool. thing to do. The <laughs> Americans would, the Americans would be like, it's a secretary of community. Yeah. The Brits are like, it's a minister of loneliness. It's like absolutely <laughs> just the most negative, which is a pretty depressing job. But yeah, it's funny. And even in the US, you know how a pack of cigarettes has a US Surgeon General's warning mm-hmm. on it. Well, U.S. Surgeon General issued a new warning saying that loneliness is the new public health crisis and being lonely is worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Oh my gosh. Which essentially is saying it's better to be a social chain smoker than it is to be lonely. lonely. And it's the number one cause of premature death in adults. Wow. I wish I was making this up. And I don't know. It's funny. Somebody said to me recently, anytime there's a new technology, it, it's meant to bring people together, but then oftentimes it can drive people further apart. Sure. And he's like, think of fire as the first form of technology. It, you know, you created a fire, it brought humans together, then humans set fire to the planes and it drove everybody further mm. apart. And I think initially a lot of the social media that we use today helped really bring us together 10 years ago, even five years ago. But I think it taken an extreme and with the amount and rates that we consume it, it's actually led us into a lot of mental health challenges and anxiety and just this constant sense of like comparison culture and all of these things that actually make us more isolated from one another. And so my heart and mission and passion is to help people reconnect in real life, meaningful community where they're gathering together on a consistent, regular basis, but also using content and books Mm. to break through the surface of, of conversation where if I just meet somebody at a, at a cocktail hour, a networking event, you know, we, it's like the, what do you do? And what did you think about this? You know, what the celebrity did last week. And you just, you can safely stay at the surface. Whereas if we're reading indestructible in a book club, there's no way we could do that book and not have to crack deeper into deep heartbreak and overcoming the, you know, most traumatic events in our life and, and sharing from a real authentic, vulnerable place. So that's where I think content can, and books can create transformation in our lives, especially when we consume it in community and we really work through it and, and can, can digest it and grow from it. So yeah, the platform's a, a mix of both online book clubs, as well as than getting people to meet and gather offline. You you touched on this and and answered it, but I, I'm curious if there's more to say about why books, why 
I mean, of all the things we could gather around movies or yeah, there are other, you know, like ways of consuming content that we could gather, but, and it's fine if part of the answer is, is they're just what I'm passionate about and I love them because yeah. I know you are passionate about books, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I love, I love joking that I'll say to investors, well, Amazon started with books, so we're starting <laughs> with books. <laughs> That's my favorite line. But the real, the real reason is because my, my background is I spent all of my twenties working in the anti-trafficking space. So I started on that issue before back in 2007 when I would get in fights with U.S. congressmen that didn't believe me that slavery existed. And then I watched over a number of years, a series of books were published in the mid-2000s that were upstream from all of this dramatic social change and the social movement really catching fire and taking off. And I watched everyone from policymakers to celebrities to soccer moms to the biggest donors who pumped hundreds of millions of dollars into the space that are the reason many people know about the issue and many organizations could do the work that they did. And and even executives of news networks like CNN reading these books to get educated on it and then getting fired up and passionate to go out and make a material change on the issue. Like mm-hmm. I watched, yeah, I watched the leaders of CNN read these books and then say, we have a platform to take this on and we're going after it. And wow. to this day, they did a one-year CNN Freedom Project and that was started in, I think, 2011 and it's still going today. It was wow. meant to be a one-year initiative. So so I I saw books lay that groundwork and I am so driven by social change and an impact. And I think books are one of the most powerful mediums in our world today, have been for 500 years for affecting change. Yeah. Amazing. Because it's such an so intimate good. experience, you know, it really if I give is. you my book, you're spending eight hours with me. Yeah. I talk about this often, how there's something about a book that a reader will take your book to the bath. Yeah. To their bed. Totally. To, yes. Like, to, to the, the gym, to the, yes, totally. Parts of their lives. Yeah. 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 Everywhere. Yeah. So it's almost like they're like inviting you into this really intimate space. It's a beautiful way to put it. It's, um, it's a, it comes with a responsibility too. And I Hugely think you touched so. on that. It's, you can write a book to transmit information. You can. Yeah. But if it's not really. But it's not going to change anybody's life. Yeah. Agreed. Not in any kind of lasting way. No. And that's, and that's where, you know, going back to this, like, I think there's a humility of, of just. I don't know, because you pour so much of yourself as a writer into the book, it feels like it's about you. It's not about you. It's about Mm. the audience. It's about who you're speaking to. It's about how they're connecting with it and what it's saying to them. And everything we do as writers and authors has to be for the audience. Mm. And as a business owner, you're creating a space for other people Mm -hmm. and it's out of your passions or it springs out of your passions. Yeah. And it's a privilege to do so, but it's, yeah. yeah, And, and, but it, the things that, that work and really move are the ones that tap into something for a specific person and, or group of people or tribe or, you know, it's season of life or something. Can I ask you to share what you've shared with me before um, about how you see copper and part of why I want you to share this with our listeners is because I think we have to do the same with thing with any creative project or any yeah. kind of endeavor where we're putting ourselves out there in the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, gosh, I, 
people will ask me like, when did you come up with the idea for the company? And I genuinely didn't. I feel like entrepreneurship has been this, it's almost like a, I call it a divine scavenger hunt of feeling like you catch the scent of something or see a need and then you're pursuing it and you talk to one person, get a clue and an idea and that leads you to something else, which opens up another door. I just had a investor meeting this morning, came came here from, from that investor meeting that was through, my friend met this investor in an Uber and pitched what I was doing to her <laughs> and her and I just had a really important meeting and there's just such a huge uh, humility is feels like not powerful enough of a word to to use but it's like I just feel so much gratitude and this open-handedness around like we we put in everything we can but at the end of the day there's it's a measure of faith and trust in what that and what that outcome is and you know I really I took, I took a few months off after a a mentor really yelled at me. I was so burnt out and he, he sat me down and basically told me to chill out and take a couple of months off, yelled at me. And I did. And going through that process was really, really hard. And at the same time, it helped slowly divorce me from my identity is I am what I do. I am what I produce. And in that time, I actually started writing a fiction book that maybe I'll, I'll, hopefully published someday, but way down the road, but just for the joy of it. Yeah. And just for the love of, I felt like I was reading a book as I was writing it, letting the story unfold and, and there was no deadline and there was no pressure and it was just for the love of it. And yeah, so I think going through the process of taking that time off and coming to the end of myself and finally realizing like, if I never get to launch or produce or create another thing, I'm okay just as me. And I don't, I'm loved for who I am, not for what I do. And I'm okay in the world for just who I am. And so that release, I think, put me in a really healthy position going into building a company. I think if I hadn't gone through that, I, I don't think I could be doing what I'm doing today because I, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm building a company that is meant to exist in the world. Kind of like going back to that big magic idea. I feel like if it wasn't me building this, someone else would build it because the world needs it. And so there's kind of a, a, a reverence to, to that where I, I don't know, you know, by what grace I ended up in the driver's seat of this car, but for as long as I've been entrusted with the steering wheel, I'm going to, you know, give it my all and, Mm. and give it my everything. And I don't own it. It's not mine. It's, it's a stewardship more than it is an ownership. And, and I think books are a similar way. I think if you want to work with a publisher and let a lot of people in on the project, you're going to have people editing and changing things and switching the cover and doing things that maybe aren't exactly how you would have done it. And, but it's a stewardship towards yeah. the idea and towards towards getting a message or a story to an audience that needs it. Yeah, and I think the other thing you're getting at too is that writing or creating for the sake for the joy of it, not yeah. because it's going to change like change the world oh my gosh, or whatever. Yeah. Caitlin Crosby and I are launching a podcast together and we we interviewed our friend Jason Jaggard a few weeks back and he he said this thing to me that's just has not it just resonated so much. I can't shake it where he said, 
You have to do things that are worth doing in life, even if you fail. Mm. Choose those things. Spend your time on those things. And that's how I feel about building this company. That's how I feel about the next book that I'm starting to work on. Even that fiction one, it's like, if that never sees the light of day, it was worth doing because it was such a joy, the process was. And that helps us release the end result and really be present in the process because the reality is, and he made this point, he's like, no one who won the Super Bowl five years ago is still fist pumping the air. And we yeah. we live for those highs and for those achievements and then life keeps moving. And they pass. And if you, and most people, it takes them their whole life to realize it was never about those fist pump moments. It was wow. about the journey. Wow. That's so good. Yeah. That's so really do something beautiful. that's worth the journey. I love that. That's a perfect transition into talking about your next book. I'd love <laughs> if you're willing to share about it. Yes. Well, this, yeah. Yeah. It's so, so early stage because a lot of it is, is telling the story of building this company of building copper as it's happening. But this next book will be, I'm pretty sure will be called good company. The idea being that if we want to build a good company and a meaningful life and make an impact, we actually have to be in good company. And it's, not about, I I just think so many business books out there are about like your leadership, your ladder, your growth, your trajectory. And we focus on climbing these ladders and end up alone at the top of the ladder. And we don't know what it was all for or why we're up there. And I think the real value is, is the community around you, the people that you're doing life with who are challenging you, building into you that, that, that you're doing the same for the the mentors who are guiding you, the people that you're mentoring and building into and that, and then, you know, whatever your, your work is creative or otherwise, how, how that's impacting lives and, and seeing yourself as part of a greater global community and, and yeah. your role within it. And that is a, a, you know, a journey of a lifetime to be on rather totally. than a specific end end that we pursue. So it's really a, the book is, in many ways, a testament to the way that community has so impacted my life and, and continues to and always will and how that's been my, my North Star and the work that I do is not just the what and the why, but actually the who. There are a thousand other questions I want to ask you and we just don't have time. We'll have to have you back on the podcast again because absolutely, so much to say. Absolutely. Okay, well, our wrap-up question Sounds like a really big question, but let me give it a little bit of context so it doesn't feel so intimidating. Um, oh, <laughs> we. <laughs> oh, if no. I just ask it cold, people are like, "Whoa, you didn't prep me for that." So one of the things that I believe so deeply, and we talk about on this podcast, is the power that words have to create mm-hmm. pos- a, a lasting ripple effect in the mm-hmm. world. So if you had to put into words the legacy you want to leave behind, or the lasting ripple effect that you would want to have after you're gone, what what might those words be? I would say, and this is, I was not the first person who ever said this, but the journey is the destination. Mm. If, if you spend your whole life thinking you're going to someday cross the finish line and arrive, you're going to spend your whole life striving for something that you're, you're never going to get to. And I think the joy of life is worked out in the process and relationship is formed in the process. Often in the harder parts of life is when we 
go deeper both in ourselves and with our community and our relationships and letting other people show up for us and showing up for other people in their hard moments. That's the, the journey is, is where life is lived, you know? Mm. So yeah, I would encourage people to, to focus on, on the process instead of the end result. Great advice. Same thing with writing, by the way. Yes, Same thing with writing. You've got to, you've got to love, you've got to love the process. So good. Perfect way to wrap up. Thank you so much, Ali, for sharing your wisdom in your heart and for going deep as you always do with us. I know our listeners are really going to love it and benefit a lot from it. So thanks, friend. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.